if you would all rise with me, if you're able, we're going to read from God's word today. Uh, we're going to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the I don't, New International Version. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. You may be seated. Thank you, Lynn, for reading scripture this morning. And you can go to Daniel chapter 9. And today we will uh, walk through this chapter together. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, as we continue our ser uh, sermon series, Hope in a Hostile World, studying the book of Daniel, and here in Daniel 9, we get some very straightforward words about Daniel and his prayer life, uh, followed by probably some of the most controversial words, uh, the most debated words uh, in the Bible, verses uh, 24 to 27, and if you've been with us, you know how much more controversial can it get? We've already done previous chapters, uh, but that's what we're going to uh, look at today as we uh, pray about what God has, has uh, shown us from his word. Uh, can I begin uh, with prayer this morning? Uh, God, we need your strength. We, we fall before you, Lord, as, as empty, empty people, Lord. And, and we pray today that, that you would strengthen us, that your comfort would be uh, from your Holy Spirit would surround us. Uh, Lord, there are many in our, uh, in our congregation who are hurting, uh, many who are, are, are lost, uh, Lord, not... Uh, spiritually, but just lost as far as direction or purpose or what's next. And God, I just pray that today you would give us hope. You would give us encouragement, Lord, that we would just continually seek your face above all and continually just worship you as God. We love you and uh, we praise you for your blessings. Uh, we praise you for your teachings. We praise you for your correction. Uh, Lord, we just praise you because you're God. It is in your precious son, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. So in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've gone through Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, and uh, we saw some visions that Daniel had, uh, and we kind of looked at those each week, uh, that there was, each chapter was kind of two parts. There was the vision, and then there was the interpretation. Uh, chapter 7 was the, the vague one, the one that had the beast coming up out of the sea, remember those? Uh, and they were powerful, they were dark and ominous, and, and our main focus from chapter 7 was, hey, don't, don't get so caught up with studying the monsters that you lose sight of the throne of God that's mentioned, and the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man that appeared in the clouds that had all authority over them. And our eyes would be better if they focus on him and not get caught up in all the little details. And then last week, we looked at chapter 8, and we talked about how it was much more specific. Like, there was, there was, uh, he was in a specific place, and he saw uh, a couple of more beasts. They were animals, and there was this ram, and then there was this goat, and then they had the horns, and they were battling, and all of this. Uh, that, that this was a vision from God to Daniel uh, during the reign of Belshazzar. 
And uh, we talked about how the ram was the Medo-Persian Empire and the goat was the, the Greece Empire, Grecian Empire. And then there was this prophecy about a little horn that was going to cause a bunch of trouble for the Jews. And we saw that historically speaking, that's exactly how it laid out. So now we pick up here in Daniel chapter 9. And first thing I want to notice is the timing of this event. Look at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azuras, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years as we continue reading. This is the first year of King Darius's reign over Babylon, over the region of Babylon. If you remember, as we've been walking through Daniel, the first six chapters are the chronological events. We had chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, which were Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel comes from, from Jerusalem as a, as a uh, person in exile. And then we have those first four chapters with Nebuchadnezzar in charge. Uh, and then in chapter 4, he, uh, as the last mention of him, chapter 5 of Daniel is that reign of Belshazzar, this, this different uh, person, still over Babylon, but he was not Nebuchadnezzar. He was like uh, a couple of down from him. And then chapter 6, we have Darius come on the scene. As a matter of fact, the end of chapter 5 records the, the death of Belshazzar and the beginning of the rule of Darius. Okay? So if you're looking at a chronological standpoint, chapter 9 here is during that first year of Darius's reign. Okay, So um, uh, now we pick it up in the first year of Darius, and it kind of gives us a timeline of where we are. And as we heard in our scripture reading this morning, this is not a dream that he's having. This is actually uh, a prayer. This is a prayer of Daniel, and we're, and we're going to kind of look through this prayer uh, because I think that that the important thing about this is whenever there's a prayer, that there's, uh, there's something to be learned, something that we should learn from, from that prayer. Uh, and here in chapter 9, we have uh, an actual recording of one of the prayers uh, of Daniel. Uh, we've seen him pray back in chapter 1. We saw him pray in chapter 6. Uh, but now we have the actual wording. And what we're going to do is look at it in two parts. First of all, verses 1 through 19 are the prayer itself. And then verses 20 to 27 is what we call God's response or God's answer uh, to that prayer. And I'd like to pose to you, anytime we have a specific prayer in the Bible, it is for our benefit. It's for us. And I would say it wants to teach us something, maybe even in the negative sense. You remember uh, the prayer that was recorded by the Pharisee, and I think it's in Luke, where he, the way he prayed and God said, uh, Jesus was like, don't pray that way. So I think that any time a prayer is mentioned that this is important for us to kind of see what is the picture here. What are we supposed to learn from this particular prayer? So now Daniel is, is, is uh, there and notice in verse 2 what he's doing. Daniel's prayer. He, in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer. Stop right there. The first thing I want to mention about Daniel's prayer is that Daniel is praying and that we should pray with our Bibles open. Pray with your Bible open. Look at what he's doing. He's reading. Now, let's, let's take a moment and take a step back and remember ourselves in the timeline. Daniel was probably a young boy when he was shipped off from Jerusalem over to Babylon. Uh, maybe 10, maybe 15 years old. We're not exactly sure. Uh, we know he's young because of the types of people that they brought out of Jerusalem. 
And he was deported from Jerusalem to Babylon, and it began this like deportation that would last about 20 years. And most of the people at the end would be already out. Like there would not be much left in Jerusalem. The temple's destroyed. Uh, the city is just wasteland. It's barren. And now in Daniel chapter 9, Jerusalem is still not the city anymore. It's still just this, this desolate place. There's a few remnant people there, but they're, they're not living as like this kingdom anymore because the majority of people are gone. And what we see here is Daniel reading the prophet Jeremiah. He's reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. We don't know how much exactly older he was than Daniel. Uh, one commentator suggested that, that Daniel may, as a small boy, sat underneath Jeremiah. We don't know. I mean, that's just conjecture. But all we do know is that Daniel here says he's reading the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah back when we first started this series about how Jeremiah wrote to those exiles in Babylon. And that his message was, hey, don't just live outside the city and isolate yourselves, but engage the city, engage culture, just remember to be distinctive. And so I see Daniel reading the, the words of Jeremiah, and I see him nodding in agreement because he knows this is exactly what happened. But then he starts to notice something. Wait, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, if you will, is not in power anymore. Now this, this other kingdom has taken over. This Medo-Persian kingdom, the Darius guy. And he maybe gets to the words of Jeremiah 25 that says, this whole land, Jeremiah writing, this whole land, talking about Jerusalem, will become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then he gets over to Jeremiah 29 in the verse that's right before the famous verse that we see on coffee cups and t-shirts. And he's verse 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So Daniel says, wait, hold on. I know numbers. I, I, I can figure this out. And, and the king of Babylon's not reigning anymore. And the people, we've been in Babylon for, for almost 70 years. And so the first part's complete. So does that mean the second part's coming, that, that, that he's going to return us back? So notice what he does, verse 3. Then I turn my face to the Lord God. He decides, hey, I'm going to go to prayer. I'm going to go in prayer about this. I read the scripture, and I'm praying about what I'm reading because I want to understand, is this right? When I look at this as far as prayer is concerned, I say, you know, some of us have a, have a hard time praying because we, we feel like God is so sovereign over all things that he knows beginning and the end. He knows every little detail and how it's all going to play out. And we begin to ask, well, then why do we pray? I mean, if he already knows everything that's going to happen, why do we pray? And I would say this. The reason we pray is because we don't know all the details. Because we don't know the beginning from the end. Yeah, we have Bible truths and we understand that heaven is coming, eternal life is coming. And, and we, but, and we, but we don't know what difficulties we're going to face next week. We don't know what difficulties we're going to face next year or tomorrow. I can tell you, yesterday morning, raking leaves, my family with my father-in-law was not thinking that he was going to be in a hospital today. We don't know. 
So we pray because we're placing our trust in the one who does know. See, Daniel looked at these words, and it caused him to pray to God. God, you know all things, and you promise these things. And so, God, please help me clearly understand what you mean by them. Please fulfill these promises that you have made. I mean, think about it. How many of you have ever gotten into a situation where you honestly didn't know what to pray? You can raise your hand because I raise my hand all the time. How do I pray? As a matter of fact, Paul picks that up in Romans chapter 8. He says the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we simply kneel before God and we cry out to him, God, I don't know, but I know you do. And I have the promise from from Romans that the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. That the Holy Spirit is literally praying for me. So what do I pray? What do we pray? So what do we do? We go to Scripture. We go to Scripture and we see truth after truth. And we simply pray to God, God, answer, answer my prayers through the truths that I know of Scripture. I read in Romans chapter 5. I rejoice in suffering. Why? Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. So I pray, God, allow this suffering to produce endurance in my life. Allow this endurance to produce character. And I keep praying. I pray Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything. But let prayer, supplication with thanksgiving... And then God said in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. This overwhelming prayer, this overwhelming peace. So what do we do? We pray scripture. Tonight, we're going to be doing that here in our prayer circle. We're going to be praying scripture back to God, making it personal for us. Another reason that we struggle with prayer is that it's not because we don't know what to say. It's because we don't open our Bibles. We don't read them. And I say, hey, see in Scripture the promises of God and then pray them. Pray with your Bible open. Secondly, Daniel approached God, and we should approach God with humility. Continue reading in verse 3. I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and please for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel approaches God with pleas of mercy. If you're going to God with pleas of mercy, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I don't deserve what I'm asking you to do. I deserve judgment. I deserve justice. And I am pleading for mercy. As we'll see in just a few moments that Daniel prays, for mercy when we continue on in verse 5. Please for mercy. You're recognizing, God, I deserve punishment. And yet, you, I receive mercy. And it puts me in this place now of what do I get? Nothing but humility. It's humility. And this is the correct approach to prayer. To know, hey, God, I'm totally dependent upon you. I can never earn your mercy. If I could ever earn my place before God, it's not mercy anymore. He pleads for mercy. And then it says, 
with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Not only is it his prayer, but it's also his posture. And we saw this a couple of weeks ago when we studied Daniel uh, right before facing the lion's den. What you see here, in the, in the, you're like, what is this? Sackcloth, ashes, is fasting. We've heard of fasting, but what are these other things? Well, when you study the Jewish culture, you find that whenever someone, um, whenever a, a family member lost someone through death or they were going through something difficult, like in the story of Job or in other places, that oftentimes they would take and remove their clothes and they would put on this sackcloth, which was like this rough, rough uh, material, very irritable, and they would put ashes on their head, and then they would lay prostrate before God. What is the picture? The picture is, God, I am nothing. God, I am defeated. I am an empty-handed servant. Now, I will say, some people have abused that picture, but here Daniel is falling before God. He's read the Bible. He sees what Jeremiah has prophesied. And now he falls before God and he says, God, I'm not worthy of your presence. And we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but one of the things that helps us to go to God properly in prayer is our posture, simply kneeling before God. When was the last time we knelt before God? As a reminder that we are a beggar coming before a holy, awesome God pleading for mercy. Approach God with humility. Now, verse 4. This is where Daniel's prayer starts. All that. Now we've set up the prayer. Now he's going to pray. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Look at how Daniel begins his prayer. And, and, and look at these words, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Compare Daniel's beginning of prayer with our beginnings of prayer. Dear God, bless me. Dear God, please help so-and-so. God this or God do that. Instead of starting how Daniel starts, the great and awesome God. You remember how Jesus told uh, the disciples, the people, the Sermon on the Mount where he was talking about the, the model prayer. And he says, hey, this is how you begin your prayers. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice none of that opening verse, uh, none of those opening words are anything about what you give me. It's all just praising God for who he is. God, you are so far above us. You are the mighty, majestic, sovereign, holy, awesome God. Daniel prays, God, you're the great and awesome God. And then it says, you keep covenant and steadfast love. Steadfast love. This word happens throughout the Old Testament. Steadfast love. But you don't see it in the New Testament. It's a Hebrew word, kesed. And it translates into Greek as the word charis. You might know what that word is. Grace. Grace. Daniel, back in verse uh, 3, says he pray, plead for mercy. And here he prays for grace. Grace. 
The grace of God is that continued outpouring of steadfast love, that love that never wavers, that love, that goodness toward each and every single one of us, that steadfast is unwavering, it's not shaken. Do you understand that the grace of God doesn't matter who you are or what you've done? He says, God, you're great, you're awesome, and you're gracious. You remember, remember, remember as kids praying, like I, I have a hard time just not going there because like you're great, you're good. Like remember the kids' prayer at the dinner table? God is great and God is good and let us thank him for our food. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. You remember those prayers? You ever stop to think about those two prayers? God is great. God is good. We need to really think about that. God is great. Like if, if you don't constantly remind yourself that God is great, then your prayers are going to be very puny. I would dare say that most of us probably, and myself included, pray very puny prayers. And let me show you what I mean. Like if I'm praying, God, God, this morning, I want you to be with Grant today. God, I want you to be with Cody today. I want you to be with Cheyenne today. And I can almost see God looking at me going, um, Cheyenne's my child. And I've already told her that I was going to be with her today. You think you could pray a little bit better than that? Be with her today. But can you get more specific today? God is great. And what happens is we immediately jump into do this or do that instead of stopping and saying, God, you are amazing. You are holy. You spoke and the world came into existence. And Psalm 46 says, by your voice, the earth melts. And what we're going to see next week in Daniel chapter 10 is this appearance of an angel before Daniel, and he literally melts. See, when was the last time, instead of praying this puny prayer, God be with them, when was the last time you cried out that for this remarkable outpouring of God's spirit? When was the last time you prayed for someone in that way? When was the last time you prayed for someone that you thought, these guys are never going to get saved? My aunt is so far away from God. My neighbor has nothing to do with God. When have you fallen before God on your knees and said, God, you are powerful to save. He's a great and awesome God. And only you can remove the darkness from their eyes. I heard a pastor once say, your prayers will never rise above the level of your God. Do you know how great God is? And then how good he is? The great and awesome God who's gracious to you he's good to you because if you don't think about the fact that God is good then your prayers are not only puny but they're going to be non-existent God I am too sinful and you're never going to answer my prayer I'm just a big disappointment to you God and so what do we do we don't pray or we pray these sort of generic prayers however when I remember that God is great and awesome, and God is good and gracious, then I know what the Hebrews writer says, that I can come boldly before his throne, and I know that I'm going to receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. Remember who you're praying to. The fourth thing, 
Admit your sin. Look at verse 5. Now we're going to read all of verses 5 through 15. We're just going to highlight through here because he says it over and over again. Look at verse 5. Daniel's saying, he says, God, you're great. You're awesome. You've kept love toward us. You've, and now verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Look at verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, but we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. He continues on and on. And he keeps saying it with we, we, us. Our rebellion. And he's saying, hey, we deserve exactly what we've been getting, God. We deserve this judgment. We have sinned. We've not listened. We deserve this open shame. And I see this and I say, Daniel understands that the, if you will, the cards are stacked against him. The, the evidence is so overwhelming. And he has no basis for looking at his own goodness and saying, God, Bless me because I've been really good for you. How many of us think that, that when we pray, that we're going to get good things because we've been good? Yeah, so God, I've been faithful to church, God. I mean, I've been praying more, and uh, I'm in a really tight spot right now, and I'm doing all these things, and so hopefully you notice that, God. You know what that's saying? That's saying, God, I hope you notice all these good things that I'm adding to this side of the scale. And well, you might not say it out loud, but you definitely act and live that way. That's seeking to show, God, now, listen, God, I've done all of this for you. So aren't you now kind of obligated? You know, can you throw me something here? Throw me a line? I'm acting as though God owes me. So I can get out of this jam. I can get out of this, this trouble that I'm in. And what happens then is you're not appealing to God on the basis of his mercy and grace. You're trying to appeal to God on the basis of your own goodness. Daniel launches in for this long paragraph here that he is nothing, that he is a sinner. He says, I'm empty-handed. I deserve open shame. I, too, am responsible for the mess that I'm in. And I thought that interesting because Daniel was carried away into Babylon. And he lives, and this is at the time after it's been like 60-some years. And he says, uh, God, I've sinned. I've messed up. He doesn't pass the buck. He doesn't say, you know what, God, those Israelites from back before that you said we're going to get, yeah, man, those guys stink. But uh, I've been good, God. Mm-mm. Daniel, it, I think you would agree with me as we studied the life of Daniel earlier, that Daniel's very remarkable. And he really makes a stand. And he says, our sin. Not those stupid people who sinned 60 years ago, blew it for us, so now God help me out. He says, no, it's my sin. It's my sin. Listen, this is how we go to God in prayer. This is, this is what we do. We recognize who we are, and we recognize who he is. He is the great and gracious God. And you know what that means? That means he's 
able to forgive your sin, it also means he's willing to forgive. So if we can't appeal to God for our own goodness, how do we appeal to God? Now go down to verse 16. Look at how Daniel appeals to God. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas of mercy for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The fifth thing I see about Daniel's prayer is that he appeals to God's character and God's promises. Daniel says, hey, I have nothing, God. I have, I have no hope and no assurance in my own goodness, but I have hope and assurance because of your goodness. I'm not going to God in my righteousness. Verse 18 says, I'm going to God for your righteousness, your mercy. Verse 19, he says, don't delay. Delay not. And look at what he says. Don't, uh, verse 19, delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. You see what the reason he gives? He says, God, don't delay because, listen, my reputation is, is, is your reputation. Your reputation is tied to me. And so not because we're good, but because you are, will you vindicate your name by being merciful to your people? This is what we cry out to God. God, it is your name in my neighborhood. It is your name in my school. It is your name in my workplace. It is your name, God, that's tied to me. Be merciful and gracious to me so that I might live for you. This is Daniel's prayer. God, we are not worthy, but you are. That should be our prayer. Now, we get to God's response. Look at verse 20. God's response. Uh, pastor from years ago, E.M. Bounds, said this. God shapes the world by prayer. And I believe that God always answers prayer. Whether it be the answer I want or not. Whether it be in my time, time frame or not. God always answers prayer. Look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, which is Jerusalem. While I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So what happens? Daniel says, as soon as I started praying, I get my answer. When did God answer him? Gabriel says he took off swift flight to give Daniel an answer. 
And one thing that grabbed my attention was he came in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Okay, roughly 3 o'clock. If you look at the Jewish time, uh, that's when Jesus died on the cross around the evening sacrifice, around 3 o'clock, 3 to 5 p.m. But I find it interesting that Daniel writes it like this because when you put it in the timeline, Daniel's been in Babylon for 60 years. Daniel has not seen an evening sacrifice in Jerusalem for 60 years. And yet, after 60 years, Daniel's mindset, his time, is still mentioned by Jerusalem. His life is still ordered around that entire system. And I say, even though Daniel has been in this foreign land for all of this time, Daniel is still God's. Daniel still orders his life around God. Verse 22. So Gabriel comes. Verse 22. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Why did God answer him? First of all, we saw when God answered him. God answered him immediately. Secondly, why did God answer him? Did you see that little phrase? For you are greatly loved. Daniel, I want you to know. I want you to understand the answer to your prayer. It's not what you're going to think it's going to be. And I'm coming to tell you why. Because you are greatly loved. God sends Gabriel to tell Daniel the answer to the prayer and the answer for his cry for mercy. Why? Because God loves Daniel. And every single promise and truth in Scripture is for us, for you and I. And for some of you this morning, this is your verse. This is what needs to be your verse. You are greatly loved. hears your cries and he hears your crying out and he knows remember when you when you had little babies in your house and you knew the difference between a cry and a cry as a kid I'm like what do you mean they're different yeah then I had my own kids and then you hear the cry and you're like yeah they're just being spoiled (laughs) they're gonna stay but then there was a different kind of cry and when you heard that cry You'd move heaven and earth to get there, right? You would knock the door down. What's going on? I know they're in pain. God hears Daniel's cry and immediately comes to his aid. Because he loved him. Now, what was the answer that God gave? That's verses 24 to 27. Let me read. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All clear? Let's pray. Yeah. This is where the wheels fall off. And this is where it gets difficult. One of my favorite pastors, Alistair Begg, uh, he's a Scottish pastor. I love listening to him. Uh, I think he's in Ohio. Uh, He says this, in what follows, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening and so often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. What I'm about to now unfold before you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. He was preaching on this passage, and I definitely agree with him. So as we finish this morning, I just, I want to lay this humbly before you. And please know, I don't dogmatically hold to one. I was raised viewing this a certain way. I've studied this quite a bit over the last several weeks. And several different commentaries that I read from a variety of authors don't agree with each other. And I've had some interesting thoughts along the way concerning from some of these readers, some of these writers. However, I say all of that to also say these words of Charles Spurgeon. The Lord God appointed a set time for the coming of his son into the world. And nothing was left to chance. Note again, the Lord told his people somewhat darkly, but still with a fair measure of clearness when the Christ should come. Now, whatever your viewpoint of these verses The truth of the matter is still certain. God's promised a Messiah. He's going to come, and he's going to come at the exact moment that God wanted him here. Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come. And I find it interesting because you can even go all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you know Eve's firstborn son, you remember his name? He was the bad one. Cain, there you go. (laughs) Which one was it? Cain. Cain, the name Cain means I have gotten a man from the Lord. And some have suggested that Eve's thoughts in that I received a man from God, that she knew the promise from God that there would be one of her descendants would would squash evil. And she thought that Cain would be that person, which is why she named him that. I've received a man from God, the man, the son that's going to step on the head of the serpent. And of course, we look back on that and we're like, yeah, that wasn't him. Because he killed his brother. No, when the fullness of time had come, God had already ordained, this is when it's going to happen. Daniel prays for answers about when the Israelites, God, you said 70 years. We're getting up close to that, God. We're going to be returning home. And God lays out some information here in verses 24 to 27 that would be dissected and analyzed for centuries So, just a couple of thoughts. First of all, it says 70 weeks. And virtually all readers that I was reading said that the word weeks is not actual seven-day periods of time, but it refers to seven-year periods of time. Seventy-sevens. Okay? I'm a math guy. 490. Okay. God is telling Daniel, hey, listen, this exile is not going to last 70 years, but it's going to last 70 times 7 years. Now, there's a couple of viewpoints on this. Some said that this number is simply a symbolic number. 
All right? It's, it's talking about entire history since time was written. It's not exactly 490 years, but it's representing like just time will continue on. Others have been much more literal, saying that it's exactly 490 years. And they speak about when you study the, the, the years and you find out when they announced that the temple was going to be rebuilt in the book of Ezra and you do the date there and then you move forward all the way to Christ's ministry. It's right around 480 to 490 years. Whoa. And then they say, well, there's this little break between verse 26 and verse 27, which I don't see, but they say it's there. And that little break is the time of the church. We're in between verse 26 and 27. And 27 is future, and it's talking about the Antichrist. And they hold this dispensational view. I even heard one person, I was reading one, he presented all of this as Christ. Even the last verses talking about Christ. Not the Antichrist, but Christ. So as I just mentioned, listen, I hold all of these in humility. And there's a lot that could be discussed about each one. I don't want to lose the forest for the trees. I just want us to get this bigger idea of what's going on. Let me finish with the saying this. When we talk about the scriptures, and we talk about, oftentimes we talk about the scriptures being clear. They, like they're clear. And, and I believe that scriptures are clear. And I believe that even a child can read scriptures and understand it in matters of salvation. But I don't say all scriptures are equally clear because I come across a passage like this and some of them are very, very difficult. And as I like what Alistair Begg says, and I've said it here, the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things, which means clear teachings like salvation by grace through faith. Jesus is the son of God. They're very plain in the Bible. They're very clear in the Bible. So those are main things. Those are things that I believe and things that I hold to with conviction. But other things like end times prophecies are not so plain, meaning I'm not sure any of us have it completely right. So I study them and I humbly, prayerfully seek God's wisdom in them. And maybe I lean towards one, but I lovingly accept that others might have differing views of this. So this is what I believe the overarching picture here of this proportion, this proportion of scripture, this portion of scripture. It's not a proportion, that's math. He says this, verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And then it gives this little list to finish transgression, put it into sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness to anoint a most holy place. And by the way, if you have a Bible that has place, you might notice in the footnotes it says also a most holy one. God has a plan for the final salvation of his people. Daniel, you prayed, and now I'm answering. And this is going to be a little different than what you're thinking. Yes, the people are going to go back to Israel in the 70 years. I said that. They were going to go back. Jeremiah prophesied the people will go back. But the fullness of salvation is not going to come in that 70 years. It's going to be outside of your lifetime, Daniel. You're not even going to see it. It's going to be a much longer time. When I go, when we went through the book of uh, Hebrews, you know Hebrews chapter 11? You remember Hebrews chapter 11 where it listed all the different people by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Jonah, all these different people. In the list, Daniel, is, his name is not mentioned, but it says they stopped the mouths of lions. There's a reference to Daniel. 
Chapter 11 of Hebrews finishes just like this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Wait, they didn't get what they were promised? No, they did. It just wasn't in their lifetime. And I see that clearly in 24 and 25. When I read those words, putting an end to sin, to finishing transgression, to bring an everlasting righteousness, how can you not see Jesus? I can't even begin to read it without seeing Jesus. When he came, he did all of that. So Daniel prayed, and this is what was given. And then this, I see God saying, Daniel, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. We live in the generation called the now generation. Amazon, free shipping, two days, right? I've even heard that they're starting to work with drones about delivering it to you faster. Woo! I think they're going to lose a lot of drones if they do that. We live in the now generation. i got to have it now. We have instant everything. And listen, when you don't get the answer that you want right away, that doesn't mean you give up. It means you keep praying. You continue to pray. Daniel continues to pray. God, it's, it's got to be getting close. God says, it's not in my time. So what do I do? I keep going to God in prayer. God, walk with me. Walk with me through this. I'm going to take it to you, God. I'm going to take everything to you, God. Remember the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? The verse says, Oh, what grief we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There's a lot more that you can say about these verses. And many pastors and writers have done a much thorough job, more thorough job. But I came across a commentator. And his name sounded familiar to me. His name is Dale Ralph Davis. Ralph Davis is one of our elders. <laughs> this is what he said. He says, what is the message of Daniel 9, 24 to 27 to Daniel and to us? He said something like this. You are called to long obedience. Your people will be sustained even in distressing times. And the great hater of God's people sits in the Lord's crosshairs with the date of his demise clearly marked on God's calendar. You may have wished for more than that, but that's mostly what this is all about. And that's not bad. Daniel prays, God answers. Are you praying today? Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you would give this picture, this picture that may be as clear as mud, but this picture, and that the truth of the matter is you did send your son to live, to represent us, and to humbly die on a cross for me. And I don't deserve any of it humbled by your mercy I'm humbled by your grace God forgive me I've messed up so 
many times I've sinned. But I know that you forgive. God, I don't know what the future holds for our nation, for our people, but I know you hold it in your hand. And I know that at some point in time, whether it be in my lifetime or 490 years from now, that you will return to make everything right. And that we can worship at your feet for all eternity. Not because of our goodness, but because of your mercy and steadfast love. Because of your son's righteousness. God, provide us encouragement today to continue to pray, to continue to lift up holy hands to you, to continue to walk with an attitude of, God, work in our hearts and lives. We love you, and we praise you for all your many blessings. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen.